This is Linux Unplugged, episode 14 for November 12th, 2013. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, the weekly Linux podcast still licking our wounds from a technical meltdown and basking in the glow of ideals. My name is Chris. My name is Matt. Hey there, Matt. So we made it. We're on the air. Des- despite despite what the technical snafus might have tried, we've made it. It took a little behind-the-scenes magic. So last week for the Linux Action Show, we had a great interview with Joss from OpenSUSE, and we were just marred in technical issues. We got like a two-hour late start while the guest is waiting. He's got to go catch a flight, so total pressure's on. <laughs> and there we were, like, literally swapping hardware. Streams going up, streams going down, recording, starting, and crashing. It was touch and go. And it's funny because it all comes at a time after where I, as a Linux user as, and an open-source advocate, free software believer, had to struggle with going with the practical solution, right? The, right. the solution that the business owner has to go with to, to do media content and specifically video production. And I really had to fight this. And I, I ended up going with the practical route. And then as it all collapsed down around me, I thought, this is what I get. This is what I get. So I'm going to talk about that today because I think this is in some form or another an issue that a lot of Linux users struggle with. Oh, I struggle with it every day. Yeah, yeah I do too, actually. And so, uh, and sometimes you walk that line and you win some and you lose some. Uh, but first, at the top of the show, we usually like to do some follow-up. And I had a whole bunch of really good follow-ups. And then I somehow had a copy-paste failure and lost a lot of them. But Ben comes to the rescue. Uh, so you might have heard of uh, this little thing called Linux Format Magazine. Now, you might be missing Linux Format. I don't know. I know I certainly have. But perhaps today you saw a new bat signal up in the sky called Linux Voice. Well, Linux Voice is an Indiegogo campaign that's just been launched by, I believe, some of the guys behind the Linux Format Magazine. And one of those guys, his name is Ben Everd? Everod, I believe he said Everod. it was. Yep. And uh, he's joined us right now. Ben, welcome to Linux Unplugged. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Hey, man. Well, thank you, first of all, for joining us literally at the last uh, minute. Yeah, we just launched the campaign yesterday. Uh, <laughs> it's a really exciting time for us. Yeah, no kidding. That's why I wanted to get you on. So uh, w- what are you guys doing here? I know Linux Format, um, uh, and I know that uh, it was honestly, Linux Format was my favorite Linux magazine of all of them. I know you guys are trying to raise some funds. What are you trying to accomplish? Basically, we want to do more or less what we did with Linux format, but uh, we'll be free from uh, the oversight of future. So we can do it exactly the way we wanted to do it, which means a lot more giving back to the community, a lot more community involvement. Um, so if you've seen the campaign, you'll know we'll be giving 50% of our profits back to the community. And we'll also be making our content free uh, online after nine months. And it's things like that that we want to do differently. Oh, wow. Now, so... Uh is this going to be this is going to be essentially what people are familiar with from the Linux format magazine sort of rebooted and, and refined is so is that sort of what, if I'm envisioning that or is this is there something a little bit different from Linux format it's fundamentally it'll be the same idea as Linux format the same rough layout the same uh, basic mix of tutorials the same aimed at the same sort of people but hopefully done better interesting now can you tell me about the podcast aspect of it Ben, are you there? Hello. Don't forget to Hello. push to talk. Yes. <laughs> you got to push to talk. 
<laughs> I know. So now there's going to be a podcast component of it too, right? Yeah, I mean, we've been podcasting for a while as Tux Radar, then as Linux Lifestyle. So yeah, we'll just be shifting that over to Linux Voice. That's awesome. So it's it's a magazine, but it's also something people can put in their ear holes if they're commuting, something like that. Uh, and exactly. You, and uh, you guys have got, uh, as some of the perks, you actually get like uh, a print subscription too. So there is going to be a print version. Absolutely. Uh, there's this sort of vague rumor that print is dead, but we don't believe that at all. I mean, print magazines are still selling really well. Uh, Linux format increased its circulation last year. Um, I mean, digital's obviously great, but print still has got a lot of life left in it. Yeah, yeah, I think that's awesome. That and like, you know, I'm looking at the different uh, tiers here, and I'm thinking, I if I'm going to throw down a thing, I'm going to throw down for a print version. I, I guess I'm I'm one of the minority, but w- for this particular type of content, uh, I think I really like the idea of being able to thumb through it a little bit. Of course, that's why it's great. It's also a format in like audio or digital. So if I wanted to throw it on a device, I could. Well, very Absolutely. good. Very good, Ben. Well, I wish you guys uh, a whole bunch of luck. Uh, and, of course, uh, we'll keep tabs on it. And uh, is there is there anything else you wanted to mention before we, uh, before we go on? Uh, no, just uh, really encourage everyone to go and check out the campaign on Indiegogo and at linuxvoice.com. Awesome. And we will have a link to it in the show notes. So folks go over to episode 14 of uh, Linux Unplugged on Jupiter Broadcasting. We'll have a link to the Linux Voice Indiegogo project. Well, Ben, uh, we're going to go into uh, one bit of feedback that I did grab this week. You, however, are totally welcome to uh, hang out with us as we the, part of uh, part of Linux Unplugged is uh, it's sort of like an online lug aspect. We let people hang out and chat with us as we do the show. So you, sir, are more than welcome to hang out on air if you'd like, or you can take off if you need to to uh, get on with your day because I know you did have to join us at the last minute. But uh, interesting stuff, guys. So I'll put a link to this in the chat room right now if uh, folks watching live want to go uh, throw in a little bit. And, of course, we will have uh, we'll have it in the show notes. I don't know about you, Matt, but I love the idea of just having a Linux uh, magazine in print. I think it's a really telling that a lot people are still under the impression that print is dead because it's not. I, I, for one, prefer Linux magazines in print. I, yeah. That's just kind of how I like to absorb that. And I really love the idea of the model they're running with. I think it's fantastic. Um, I think it's really cool to see the writers running the show. I, I think that that's awesome. I think the uh, you know their mission statement of actually giving back to the community is awesome. I think the whole mm-hmm. thing's great. It is great. It is great. Yeah. So, uh Anyways, you guys can go uh, check that out if you would like. All right. Well, I did. I did save one email. I don't know what. I don't know uh, how I lost all the other ones, uh, but it was uh, probably pretty. Uh, probably a pretty good one to, to keep because it was uh, on our topic of last week. So last week we talked about the dark mail initiative, and I was pretty bullish on it at first. Now, as I've had some time to reflect on it, I don't know if. I mean, honestly, they're just nobody's unseated email yet. And uh, that might've been to Adrian's point. He writes in my main purpose for this email after, by the way, he had a bunch of very nice things to say about the show, (laughs) Uh, but I, I I cut it down to, he said, my main purpose for this email was about the potential of dark mail. Thank you very much for an informative unplug session on the proposed new protocol considered for replacing email. I would like to ask if this may also benefit the world, then it may be significantly, what could it may significantly reduce the amount of spam and fraudulent emails. If I'm correct, mail could be encrypted with something like private and public keys. Number one, If the email requires encryption, which takes longer to process before sending and will cost more in the spammer's resources, so then would the spammers be less likely to bomb domains? I don't know if that's necessarily true now because the type of encryption we're talking about, not very expensive. Now, BitMessage type stuff is, there's a lot more. See, so uh, BitMessage actually has something called proof of work that you have to complete, a, a math question that you have to answer before you're allowed to send, and that... If you've tried BitMessage, you've noticed it can sometimes be CPU intensive when you send a message. That's exactly why. And that becomes just not not scalable for spammers. But something like 
signing an email uh, w- with your GPG key, uh, that's not going to slow them down. No, no, not even close. Uh, number two, if the recipient has to decrypt the message, uh, then only a public key of the sender will successfully reveal the message. This suggests that the spammer pretends to be eBay, then unless they have eBay's private key message, they'll not be able to decrypt quickly. That is true. That mm-hmm. is a nice thing, is if you have a, if you have a good key structure set up, then you can, at least it cuts down on phishing. Number three, he says... I do not know how public keys will be stored, but I can guess if a company is requesting tens of thousands of public keys, they're either on a mega-legitimate company or a spammer, and they would get noticed. Well, that's, that's interesting if you need somebody's key to yeah. send it to them. Um, yeah, that's an actually a really interesting point. He says, I'm sure you may think of more ways, but the, hope, uh, but the hope is not only to improve confidentiality with dark mail, but also to reduce spam. We'll see. And he's in uh, Stonehenge, England. Good stuff. Yeah, it's some interesting thoughts on... Uh, I guess, we, you know, after we did the episode... There was a ours ran a piece about how dark uh, about how LavaBit was never all that great security wise, and they tried to kind of kind of I thought the timing was a bit of a takedown because they're doing the dark mail initiative and they're not using the same technologies for the dark mail initiative that that ours was writing a takedown. Yeah, on. but Fax never stops ours before. I mean, they 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 nitpick whatever they want oh, and they kind of slap it out there. Oh, Bam! So I, I went there. Uh huh. Uh huh. Oh, no, so <laughs> I'm just saying there, there's they, businesses fail. Oh man, yeah. I mean, just the, their whole approach is. I mean, here's the thing about dark mail. If for it to succeed, it's it's really 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 simple. The services we're already using, if they adopt dark mail, it succeeds. If those services we're already using do not adopt dark mail, it'll still succeed, but on a much, much smaller yeah, scale. Yeah. It'll be much more bulletin board like. It'll I mean, it's be more be very, dark mail. It'll be like Tor. Yeah, more yeah like, exactly. Yeah. It's gonna be like some weird mesh network or something. It's just it's gonna be very limited. I think that's it. I think if yeah. if Yahoo says, "Hey, Yahoo Mail is gonna stand out," and we'll 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 adopt the dark mail protocol, or if Google says, "You know what? We genuinely are so pissed off that the NSA broke into our data centers that we'll adopt the dark mail protocol." If those things happen, then I think we got it. Well, no. I think it's a great opportunity for Yahoo because they need a way to differentiate themselves. They're not really a search engine anymore. I mean, they're basically just Bing's little brother um, using Ouch. their stuff. It's and, true, though. I mean, it's true. So, so they have a real great opportunity here to say, you know what? We're going to cut the cord. We're going to basically innovate and really shake things up and take some risks. Being a publicly traded corporation, that's always a little tricky, or, but I think it's worth a try. Or, you know, you could be Zimbra and you could be like, you know what? Yes. We're going to integrate this. This is another reason why you want to switch to Zimbra from Exchange. That would be very helpful, and that would be a really great testing area that if it succeeds there, then they can expand out. Yeah, yeah. well, you never know. You just never, never know. know, Matt. Well, so uh, look, uh, I got I got to bare my soul on a few issues. I've, I, 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 went through a, I went through a self-struggling and evaluation process <laughs> behind the scenes recently. Uh, brought me to my core, Matt. Brought me down to my core. I questioned was this after everything. You, uh, it, it had a little cloud experience with your lost links? or No, no. This is this a couple of months ago. It was a couple oh, okay. of months ago, and uh, it was right before I spent a whole bunch of money on, on a big, you know, closed down, lockdown system with, with this proprietary software that mm. costs way too much money. And I really had to do this deep soul searching. Like, am I, do I really, really, really want to do this? Do I really want to spend this money? Right. Or... And I was just being practical. Or do I want to reduce the scope of the Jupiter Broadcasting Network and just switch to audio only and just say, you know what, 30, 40 percent of our audience, I'm sorry, we love you, but I just can't do video anymore. That would be gone to YouTube, by YouTube, by video embeds, right? Mm -hmm. All gone. We only do audio. And that would be a massive reduction for the network. But I was at this point where it's like I could spend five grand on a Mac Pro and another grand on Wirecast. And I could build a proprietary. I could build the next version of the proprietary system that I use to, to run the network now for recording and streaming, or I could just say I'm not going to do it anymore. 
I could let my I could let my ideals stand through and say, you know what, I I can't do it. I'm just going to do what my ideals allow me to do because I'm also I'm also the type of person where if I can't do it well enough, like even if I, maybe initially I can't do it well enough, but I feel like eventually I'll be good at it. I'll start. But if I feel like there's not a lot of chance that I'm ever going to have it at the quality level I want, I just I'd rather just not do it. Right? Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, video production under Linux, I'd rather just not do it. And, well, and I think the the one thing we keep running into with people is they say, but you can do video production under Linux, and they point to uh, other popular video podcasts out there, one specifically to gaming, for example, and they say, well, you can do it that way. And I think that perhaps this is an opportunity for you to explain why that yeah. may not be a good fit for us. And, you know, I, I, so I'm going to talk about that, I'm gonna, but I yeah. also – I want to talk about how just in general too as Linux users, there's always these things that come up that we're like, oh, my ideals are one right. thing, but the pragmatist in me is going a different direction. And sometimes – in the long run, you know, you pull an RMS a little bit, and mm. it turns out that maybe... And the value of this is negative. Maybe you should have gone with the ideals. But before we talk about that, because that's that's sort of the premise, uh, and, and you know what, maybe I'll also give the background, since you were there. You, oh, yes. You got oh, yes. to see what, what people watching live didn't get to see because while we were down. You were there. So I'll also talk about what the hell happened this weekend. Yep. A lot of people have been asking about that. Uh, but before we do that, I want to thank our sponsor this week. DigitalOcean. Now, you guys might be familiar with DigitalOcean now since they were here last week. They're here again this week, and I'm very, very excited. Now, if you're not familiar with DigitalOcean, DigitalOcean is simple cloud hosting. They have dedicated offerings with the most intuitive and easy-to-spin-up systems ever. Users can create a cloud server in 55 seconds, and pricing plans start at $5 per month. That gets you 512 megs of RAM, a 20-gigabyte SSD drive, and a CPU, and also a terabyte of transfer. DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, and Amsterdam. The interface is simple, intuitive. The control panel is brilliant, and uh, power users have a bunch of great features, too, like Docker support, replicating backup images. Um, Ooh, nice. Watching, I like the Docker support, right? Oh, dude, Matt, the Docker thing is mm. – the mm. Docker thing is – we've talked about Docker. It is – it allows me as, as, as a sysadmin or it would allow somebody as a developer to create a completely isolated environment locally on their laptop, on their desktop – test it, get everything working just the way they want, spend all their time locally working on it, make that Docker snapshot, move it up to DigitalOcean, and spin it up and have it running on one of their SSD-powered VPSs. Now, I'm looking at the uh, Create Droplet screen right now. This gives you an example of how intuitive their interface is. You give it a host name, so like I could say Unplugged for the host name, and I could choose which one I want. Now, I'm going to choose 512 megs of RAM, 20 gig SSD with a terabyte of transfer. That's $5 a month. And what's awesome right now, if you use the code LINUX13, lucky number 13, LINUX13, they're going to give you a $10 credit. So you can try out one of these VPSs for free, for two months, and I, I, the one I spun up, I put up in New York, and I went with an Archbox, but they've also got Ubuntu, CentOS, Debian, and Fedora. You could also just say it by application. You know, hey, I want a LAMP server, so give or give me a, give me a Git server, right? Or right, hey, I, right. I, this is a good one. I've already got my Docker created. Create mm-hmm. me an Ubuntu thirteen oh four machine with Docker already installed, so I can just drop it on there, and I am ready to go. Or hey, you know what? I need a WordPress blog. You can click right here. They'll spin one up. It is so cool. And then once you get it just set up the way you want, you can create that image. So then from that point forward, you can just spin up additional machines as you need based on that. So like for me, I started with an Arch machine, got it really nice and minimal, just what I needed, got a few things set up. I could take an image of that. And then from then on, whenever I want an Arch machine, I just use that image if I want. It's so awesome. They call them droplets. It's really cool. It's based on KVM, which is great. Some great Linux technology using Docker as well. I love 
all of it. And really, when you're using the code Linux 13, you can try it out for free. I've been using it recently to do backup recordings of our live stream, to do BitTorrent sync distributions of the Unfiltered Supporter Show, so that way people get better speeds when they're pulling that down. DigitalOcean also has something really cool for their community. They have a collection of tutorials on their community site, and users can submit an article. And if it gets published, that user will get paid 50 bucks, which is pretty neat can't beat that with a stick it's just it's great all the way around and i love the fact that you can do a remote arch install and then like do like BitTorrent sync or something like that that's so awesome it's like the geeky the geekiness just it just makes you salivate the linux 13 is where you get started you can go check out Mm. it and these these things that the fast connection combined with the ssd really does make a difference and the other thing i love about it is i've tried other experience i've tried other systems in the past specifically from rackspace and amazon and both of them have gotchas like it, you, oh, here's your ding for your CPU usage. By the way, you use right. this much bandwidth. Here's the ding. The great thing about DigitalOcean is I know exactly what my cost is. It's five dollars a month, and if I use nine hundred megabytes of transfer, if I use a terabyte of transfer, it is five dollars a month. There's not at the end of the month this. Oh my goodness, right? Yeah, surprise. Yeah, exactly. It's a fixed cost. It's exactly what I expect, and because it's there, I keep coming up with new uses for it all the time. Trust me, you want your own Linux server on demand up in up in the cloud. And you can have it in Amsterdam, you can have it in New York, and you can have it on the West Coast. So go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code LINUX13 when you check out. That lets them know that uh, you appreciate them sponsoring Linux Unplugged, and it also gets you two months for free if you get that $5 unit. Or you can get the big boy for 10 bones a month and just have it free for that month and just try it out. I'm not going to judge. You do what you want. Right. You do what you want. And thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. Big thank you. That's just awesome stuff. And boy, I'll tell you, I've got a couple of items I might be uh, rolling out onto this here pretty quick. Boy, howdy, Matt. Boy, howdy. You'll once you've got it. Once you've got a system, there's like, oh, you know what? Mm-hmm. I've been kind of wanting to do this. I could, I could do that up there. And then like it's something else. You know what? I wanting to do this i'll toss that up there it's been really cool it's like someone just dumped out a big box of legos with every piece <laughs> i've ever wanted directly in front of me that yeah. i can build anything i want it's awesome yeah it is pretty cool yeah uh so uh this week uh oh, i gotta just take a deep breath <laughs> uh we had a rough sunday we had a really oh. rough sunday so i friday we canceled the faux show so that way i could take the studio offline took the ha- okay oh i gotta back up even further i gotta back up even further <laughs> Years ago, when we decided to switch from audio to video, that's when we made the switch from producing the Linux Action Show and related shows. At that time, it was pretty much just the Linux Action Show on Linux. We made the switch from Linux to a Hackintosh. I thought I thought I could cheat, right? I thought I would get by, and I would I wouldn't get a Mac. I wouldn't no. I wouldn't be legit, right? I'd do I'd do a Hackintosh, and that that sort of made it okay. And I didn't want it meant I wasn't investing a bunch of money in Apple hardware. Exactly. You weren't investing in the hardware, and you still got to get some geek cred. Right? And they also I could I could dual boot Windows mm-hmm. and Linux on them, and sure. so I used this time, and I just I I was a contractor back then, and I just made plenty of money, and because I was just working crazy hours as a contractor, and I even had a bonus structure set up, so when I went over forty hours, I made like a good I made like a good percentage rev share of the revenue from that client for the month. So Ooh, I was nice. I was making good money, and so yeah. I I spent you know within three or four month period, I spent about ten thousand dollars trying out different hardware and software configurations under uh, Macintosh, Linux, and Windows, trying to come up with a solution to provide real quick, fast production video uh, and live streaming that I could then, you know, p- turn into these shows. And I, I landed after all of that testing on the Mac. And that's when I went Hackintosh. 
Oh and this has been fine, <laughs> and this is a system that I've evolved and continued to sort of improve upon throughout mm-hmm. the years till till where we're at this summer. Then the summer comes along and the Hackintosh starts to die. It's just gotten old, and what we need from it is beyond what the hardware is capable of. And there's no upgrade path for the operating system because it probably won't boot if I upgrade it. And now, now the software we use is starting to require new versions of the, of the OS and all of these problems that you run into. So I'm like, okay, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to buy a Mac Pro. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the OS on there and I'm going to load the software on there and I'm just going to be a big boy and I'm just going to swallow the, 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 uh, the medicine, right? I remember this, and I remember what, right before the purchase. You, you know, you really weighed out all your pros and cons, and decided, you know, you're going to bite the bullet. You're going to yeah. take. You're just going to do what needs to be done. I mean, I, and I, clearly, this is going to solve all your problems, right? I looked at the numbers, and I said, <laughs> I said, you know, I, I really, honestly considered for a couple of days dropping video because mm-hmm. then I wouldn't need to buy the Mac. I wouldn't need to sure. buy the commercial software. I, I, I wouldn't. I could do all. I could go back to doing all the production under Linux. And now that I have, you know, now that Linux has gotten even farther, it's even better than it was back then, right? So it's like there's more incentive to do that now than there used to be. Oh, absolutely. So I'm thinking, God, I mean, I would love to do this. And so for a couple of days, I gave real serious thought. And, I, you know, everybody listening, think about this. All video production on Jupiter Broadcasting almost went away, right? Because I, mean, I really wanted to switch. Deal. Yeah. Uh, and so at the end, you know, after really thinking about it, I, I knew – that that would be just too much of a loss. Like people do not like it when you take away things. Mm-mm, no, and, and going from video to audio is a big, totally right. different animal than going from audio, audio to video. video. Yeah. yeah, which is actually an addition versus a subtraction. Right, so. right. And so yeah. I thought, okay, all right, I got to do it. So I bought I bought the Mac Pro, mm-hmm. um, which has been marred with certain hardware failures, which I have had all repaired under warranty, which is now right. fine. Then I, I kind of strategically waited to deploy it because a new version of the software that Jupiter Broadcasting uses, Wirecast, Wirecast from Telestream came out. Version 5 came out on September 5th, 2013, Matt. And I thought, mm-hmm. I'm going to give this time to cook. <laughs> now, I happen to know people who work with it. They worked with it in beta. <laughs> yeah. And they gave it the thumbs up. It's great. Try it. So I thought, okay, if I'm going to deploy this, I don't want to deploy something that I'm just going to have to update in a few weeks anyways. Right. So I'm going to go straight to the new version. It's been out for since September. Give this a go. Oh, boy. So there was there's a lot of bugs. As so this is a case oh. not to go with rolling, right? Because here I am, Mr. Rolling, saying I went with the new stuff, and boy, that <laughs> exactly. Hit. You kind of yeah, you kind of made someone else's yeah. point there, but but yeah. still, still. Yeah. Uh, so the, so it had a few features though that would sort of justified mm-hmm. it. Like it has X two sixty four support, for okay, much sure. superior video codec, right? Uh, and that that plays through in like the remote network. Like right now, it is Wirecast is capturing the screen from a computer that is an entirely different room in my house than the Wirecast machine is, right? Mm-hmm. Because it is over the network, over the gigabit network, and they, they improved it now so that the network capture can do 60 frames per second over the network. That's, that's, a, nice. that's great yeah. for games and stuff. Sure. So I was like, okay, I kind of want that. And then the, not, then the last feature they added that I just thought I just had to have is the ability to take an RTMP stream and pull it in. And as a camera source, so when Alan does BSD Now uh, up in Canada, I could pull it in and retransmit it out to all of our endpoints, like Roku's, XBMC's, the audio stream. And exactly. I, so it, it gives a more complete, so I'm like, all right, these are enough compelling features. I know people have had it in production. I'm going to go ahead and deploy it. Seems like a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> then I've had nothing but issues. Like, so uh, Friday, we, uh, or Sunday, I'm sorry, 
I mean, I, how would you describe what was happening, man? It was just so. So let me give you the uh, the spectator sport. Have you ever seen one of those uh, really angry monkeys that were in the diapers that swing around from the trees and fling things? That didn't actually happen. What did happen is uh, Chris worked really hard at trying to find out what was going on. It was just basically one issue after another with it. Uh, you know, th- we basically he would start up the stream, he'd turn around, and then it would drop. Yeah, then he would start it up again. He'd stare at it for a little bit. Okay, wouldn't touch anything, right? Just look no, at no, it. <laughs> never touch at it. As soon as the eyes have rolled off of the monitor and he's heading back to the seat, Crash. it's down yeah. <laughs> every time. And so, and after a while, it becomes like a perverse bad joke. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's like, it's like seriously, it's like there's someone out there with a clapper, like <laughs> so you're like trying to clap, you know, like turning stuff off. It was the weirdest thing. So, um, and so, yeah, it was very frustrating. And so we actually, I, so I, you know, uh, I'm an old enterprise IT guy, right? So sure. I'm, I'm about. What's what's your disaster recovery plan during exactly. during an, you know a, a core IT upgrade? So mm-hmm. I spent extra money, doubled up on some hardware. That way, it wasn't like initially I was going to be cheap about it, and I was going to take right. parts from the Hackintosh, like all the HDMI capture cards and some of the drives, and I was going to put them in the new Mac Pro, so that way I could spend as little as possible on a Mac Pro. Yeah, yeah. and then I as I thought about, it, I thought. You know, if this mixed doesn't work, hardware, yeah. <laughs> if this doesn't work, I've got I've got mixed mm-hmm. new and old hardware in here, and yep, I can't yep. just immediately revert back to the Hackintosh. So I I spent the extra money and got new stuff, all for it, and so that way I could I could swap the two. So there we were, Sunday morning, already an hour late. Our guest uh, Joss had a flight he needed to catch. He's in Germany. It's 10 a.m. Pacific time. God only knows what time it was in Germany at that time. He's waiting on us. Does it, we can't even like be in the stream to tell him what's up. Right. And, and I'm too busy fixing to really even tell him what's up. So I think, you know, I, I probably at least five or six times thought, we don't have an episode this week. Yeah, yeah. Chris looked at me d- dead, dead eyed and said, you know, said, I, I honestly, I don't have a solution to this. Yeah. I don't, what, what do we do? Right. And of course I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm, whatever you need to do is cool, but we're both just kind of shrugging going, ah, you know, what, what do, do we do? do? What do we do? Yeah. yeah. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to swap back. So I swapped back to the Hackintosh. I plugged the Hackintosh all back up, which never goes as smooth as it's supposed to, right? There was like no. little wiggly things that I had to get right. The oh, HDMI capture God. cards didn't work. So we had to shut everything off. Everything, all the computers had to be turned off, all the camera, everything had to go down and turn it all back on. Didn't work. We had to shut everything down again, turn it all back on. Then it worked the second time. And when watching this, it looked like you were playing Twister. And then the Hackintosh, <laughs> Hackintosh has some sort of like GPU problem and oh, it yeah. was totally not working. So then after switching to the Hackintosh, we knew we had to go back. We had to switch back to the to the new Mac Pro and try to get that solution, which we just bailed from, working. And at this point, I'm thinking, my God, if we just get it up and a single camera shot on Joss or on the chat room, we'll just hit record and we'll just print what we get, right? And then we Right, just- exactly. Yep. And so I put the new machine back in, hook everything back up. And of course, there's like random bugs in Wirecast where all the HDMI interfaces get reassigned every time it restarts. So that way, what was once the camera is now... Now the Skype machine, which was once the Skype machine, is now the camera, which was once my bonobo, is now the USB <laughs> webcam, right? And this just adds, of course, to the already growing workload. Right, because then every you know? shot has to be edited that, that refers to those cameras yeah. to now refer to the new mapping every time. All of this is happening while we're, while we're trying to communicate with the live stream, what's going on, trying to communicate with our guests. Yeah. Get back up and running, realize it's like one teensy tiny little config issue that was a default on how the audio got encoded, which I didn't even want. It was, it was which applying, was a change default. I think, I yeah. think it was actually changed without your knowledge. It was applying I mean, AAC compression yeah. to the audio, which I didn't want that. I want uncompressed oh. audio. That's how I roll. Right. Yeah. And then the, uh, so changing that resolved the immediate crashing. What I later discovered through correspondence, I sent them a few of the crash reports from the software later correspondence with the support. I realized, 
I don't know why this was never a problem with the previous version, but Wirecast 5 is only a 32-bit application. Oh, for Pete's yeah. sake. Seriously? So if you, I, got a, I got a machine. How, how with, adorable. 32. I got, a, I got a machine with 32 uh. gigs of RAM and, a, and, and then a 32-bit core application. <laughs> it's kind of like, wait, what now? Yeah. And so it turns out, like, X264, because it can utilize your system more, like, combined, like, with the more processor threads and memory usage, the two things were just... And, it's, and I was sending an X264 stream off to Scale Engine for the streaming because then right. the live stream would look better. And again, it was their default setting, so I went with that. And so what I've discovered now is I fixed that audio compression setting, so it's just doing, doing uncompressed audio. Right. And I turned off using X264 for the live stream, so now we're using regular H264, the slightly inferior version of H264. And so far, the machine is now running, according to Wirecast, at 98% memory usage. <laughs> that's how close we are in fact i'll go check it right now because we might sometimes we even go over a little so, bit so help me to understand that there this in 2000 almost 2014 they released a new version of an application designed for pro use that's designed for 32-bit systems am i understanding that correctly yeah okay so right now it's using that's 90 just, that's disgusting it's 90 93 of the memory now so uh so and then so there's just a there's just an s ton of free ram sitting on the box not being yeah used. i mean yeah it's, it's completely not being used because it's you know you can't i mean oh my god that so, i just i can't fathom how they would release a new version of an application that's running with standards from five ten years ago i think it's you know, you know? so this is part of the problem is video production software has this massive it's like building a car it has like mm-hmm. this huge pipeline of production and they start working on it back you know back in the day and then by the sure. time they get it to a point where it's good like they have all this legacy baggage, and this is why Apple uh, Apple aborted okay. Final Cut 7 and it upset everybody, right? Well, apparently that's what Wirecast might have needed to do as well because, yeah, yeah they, now they have all this technical debt that they're stuck with that is really plaguing it. And I I looked back in this and thought, you know, if I had that time made the decision to just drop video for now and maybe yeah. in a couple of years – here's here's the, here's the thing, though. I, I, I honestly don't think video production will ever come to Linux at the level it is available to the Mac. Not unless there is a vested interest with high money. No, and uh, unless a like unless, Valve, but yeah. even then, see, actually, it, it would require a studio no, that ha- that I has mean, a falling out with somebody maybe, that gets mad enough. But see, even the problem then, is, yeah. what the re- one of the reasons why it works for the Mac is because there's this huge ecosystem of software vendors like right. like Telestream making Wirecast, like like Blackmagic making the Intensity, um, uh, all of the capture technology, all the Thunderbolt peripherals, all the all the USB stuff that all are designed to work with the Mac. Sure. And that takes 5, 10, 15 years in the marketplace sure, to develop sure. businesses around it. Like there's entire businesses that sell products around that. And I think, I don't think it's ever going to come to Linux. And I think what will happen is we'll just do it differently. And that will be doable on Linux. Like I think yeah, what we have yeah, with possibly. Hangouts, like look at Google now with Hangouts, you can do real time lower thirds. You right. can do green screening. You can add all kinds of effects with the, with the cheesy apps and you can do it all from Linux. And it's not free. It's not open. I mean, and you're locked into a cost. YouTube experience if you want to pop right. it out to something. That's the problem. But it know? shows you it can be done, sure. right? And and so maybe down the road, something – it sounds crazy today, but I think if you would have told people that they'd do photo management in the cloud 10 years ago, they'd say you're crazy. I think video editing will become an online app in a lot of cases, and the more powerful these web browsers get in, in, with WebGL and, and, and OpenAL and all these things, I think eventually – 
It's just going to move to something else completely, and then Linux will just be included at that point. I, but well, I, there are there are some not there are some uh, NLE uh, editors out there that are they're very very early days, very uh, you know Windows Movie Maker level. But I think it shows that as you point out, it can be done. It just we need to basically give it time. I need to win the Powerball yeah. and actually drop some ca- drop some coin into developing a solution of that sort. I don't think, I think though. Be cool. I think if you took Final Cut or um, if you took Adobe Premiere. Which might mm-hmm. be the more realistic one, Adobe Premiere. Right. If you took that and dropped it on Linux today, I don't actually think it would make much of a difference. No, 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 no. I, I think I think the the key is to not is to stop trying to emulate what they're doing on other operating systems and basically build on what already works for us. Like as you pointed out, Google Google Hangouts is a good example. Come up with a cloud based solution that is not trying so hard to be something else, but basically utilizes some of the tools we already have, HTML5, uh, you know, various various other stuff on the back end, all these little goodies put together and find ways of making the technologies that already exist work better and let it grow organically. You know, I'd be interesting to see what happens. So I guess the, hey, so, on this? Yeah. Hey, uh, I was just thinking, you know, if you're going to move video editing to the cloud, that's going to need a lot more bandwidth than most people are currently capable of. Right, but look at the way they do with Hangouts where you connect in... They do the switching remotely, and you stream to them, and they record at the central location. That's right. Yep. What's, and that's, uh, the, like, that's the key. That's the key. What's Lightworks like nowadays? Again, you know, it's okay, but the problem is the editor is – I think the editor is a problem that somebody's going to solve, but it's, it's yeah. the whole – it's the hardware ecosystem. It's the codex. It's the yep. – it's, it's all of it. It's all yeah. missing. It's the ability oh, to put something on a like, live stream and have all that available on the go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, last exactly. last my chat, last my chat, Lightworks was only sixty four bit, yeah, but it was pretty usable. It, it was, and I think it, you know all video editors on Linux at this point are really good at clipping, are making clips and adding transitions and throwing in some goofy effects here and there. They're, they're pretty good with that, but they don't really solve problems yet. That, yeah, that's but Light, Lightworks with, is a professional yeah. program. It's used for like it it's is, moved yeah. by movie studios and that. So. The problem we're facing here is we have all the post production software in the world on Linux that we could get. Yeah. So we need software like Wirecast right. that we can use during a production like exactly. Chris does during his shows. Yeah, and that's becoming more and more common. You're seeing a lot of people do live production now. And it just, from an economic standpoint, it makes so much more sense if you can produce things live in real time. And with chat rooms and mumble, like, you want to be live. You want to be streaming. Yeah, and you're saying about streaming, but you've got YouTube streaming. You've got uh, G+. Plus. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. There's quite yeah. a few other options you could use if you was on about the cloud streaming-wise. Yeah, I mean, it's not just yeah. much about, like, what about the lock in there, though. But yeah, it's, and like, it's and not and about, if you want to go really old school, you got like Justin TV. Right? It's yeah, not yeah. Much about stream, as the you service stream, sure. you're using, it's about the effects you can use and the stuff you can overlay the video and how you can exactly. transition stuff and maybe yeah. streaming from another box. Yeah. Are like, you so eliminating you, an intern that needs to go and do all this stuff for you because you have a dynamic situation that you can do easily and quickly, like Chris is able to do at this point? Yeah, well, yeah. Wirecast is really See, good at like green screening, taking multiple exactly. different camera sources, combining them together, and then and then doing all of that, you know, on consumer mm-hmm. right. purchasable hardware. That's the big I thing. See. Me personally, I would use Lightworks well. with YouTube, with the YouTube streaming feature. There's there's an alternative to um to Wirecast called VidBlaster, but it's right. Windows Blaster. only. But it's yeah. really it's much cheaper. Yeah, well, it's cheaper it for a reason, everything. though. You know, I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah. so VidBlaster was one. I, I I in fact, I've even considered using VidBlaster for some things in studio, like for uh, bringing a bunch of Skype colors in and, and doing like a multi a multi box, and then sending that to Wirecast as a camera source, but. VidBlaster is not really a full competitor to Wirecast. 
And when I was playing with uh, Lightworks specifically, I was actually one of the early beta testers. Um, it, it's good software, and it absolutely, yes, it was absolutely used in a number of well-known, recognized films for production, post, you know, actually you know, like creating a film. But it wasn't – to my knowledge, I don't know how it would be used effectively to work with a live program. Um, via YouTube, eh, maybe kind of not really i don't know i mean i'm not really sure how that how that provides the kind yeah. of functionality we're dealing with now i don't i don't see it you know and the light works just looks to me like your standard nle where it's yeah. not even made to do live production right it's I not, mean, it's not, it's not, it wasn't designed for it no yeah, yeah. the most um, i've even seen great, it's regarding editor, live though. production on linux is matt what was that software that you've always promoted back when you oh were but, uh, i was involved with it uh webcam studio yeah uh, yeah, Webcam Studio was it was uh, kind of like it's kind of like a Babylon Five where it was meant to do one thing and it ended up going a completely different direction. Um, someone else took over the project and it's kind of just hopping along at a real snail's pace. The problem is, is the backend technologies just weren't effective enough, and no matter what language you wrapped it in, the problem was is that the the underlying tools just weren't quite there. That being said, that could change over time, but it's just not quite there yet. The problem I had with it is I would use it one time, but it would have one user interface, and the next right. time you use it, the user interface <laughs> did a 180. <laughs> that was Patrick, and, and, and we've, we certainly talked about that. He, he felt like he wanted to continuously, uh, in his eyes, improve it in, in a way he felt was good. I, I would have preferred it just stuck to something that was, I don't know, maybe voted on or just something a little more tame. But, um, but he, he, had, he had a vision for it, and I think, I think he was just trying to find what worked for him in his eyes, and I can't speak to it specifically, but I would agree that I really wish it would have stuck to uh, one thing or another because it was – I had to relearn it too, and I was part of the project. So every time he'd do a new one, I'd be like, oh, I have – you know, he would – the SVN would come out and be like, okay, oh, wait, what, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> How's this working? Think, Where do I find it? Yeah, it's totally – I totally get where you're coming from though. Yeah, I think I, that I, was part of its failure is it kept changing every other week from what I saw. That was part of the failure. Yeah. The other part of the failure that I experienced from most people was that the technology wasn't universal from, like, say, Fedora to Debian, from Debian to Arch, from this to that to the other thing. Everybody had a completely different experience and performance. Um, it was wrapped in Java, which, of course, added a whole other layer of uh, challenges. And, uh, you know, there are just a lot of, there are a lot of factors. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Also, going back to uh, Lightwork, getting to that, Lightworks mm. is not an easy program to learn. No, it's the not. The interface no. is very old school and analog style. So, yeah. like, it takes some getting used to, that's for sure. Yeah, it Completely is, agree. It is yeah. very different. Um, so, I want to stop here for a sec and sort sure. of like rotate the conversation a bit to. Uh, this really came down to probably for me one of my biggest ever like as a Linux user like moments where I was like, mm-hmm. what am I going to do? I it, like this come this is coming right. down to like, you know my my core beliefs, but also the practical business sense in me who says, well, I know as a businessman. I'll be cutting my arm off if I drop all video support. And well, well, come down to would you like to eat next month? I mean, really? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's really the meat and potatoes. Yeah, and well, you know, it, it, so uh, this was. So I want to talk a little bit about like some of the things we struggle with there, and uh, and maybe we'll get the mumbles room take on on some of the things they've run into, and and maybe if in the end we aren't aren't all happy if we do stick with the ideals. But first, yeah. I want to talk about Ting because Ting is a perfect sponsor for the Linux Unplugged crowd. Ting yes. is mobile that makes sense. My mobile service provider and mobile service yes, provider. Yes, yes. You can get started by going over to linux.ting.com. Now, Ting does things really different than most carriers. First of all, no contracts, no early termination fees. I know you guys like that quite a bit. The other part is, is you're in control. You own it, and you only pay for what you use. They take your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes. They add them all up at the end of the month, and whatever bucket you fall into, well, my friend, that's what you pay. Yeah, I actually, it is true. 
It is true. You don't have to know somebody in the biz to get a secret deal. Ting's got your good deal. You just pay for what you use at Ting, and you can get started by going to linux.ting.com. they got a lot, great, a lot of great devices, some really good devices in testing, if you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Next is mine! Oh, man. iPhone, I a, iPhone. Oh, oh, I had a <laughs> little. Uh, mm, yep, boy, we both had little uh, tickles in our throat. That oh was my weird. goodness! Yeah, weird craziness. Uh, so, uh, and you can always stay up to date on what Ting's up to by going to blog.ting.com. Uh, and I want to say, go over there because you're going to be pretty impressed. Average Ting bill is $21 a month per line. Now, did you know that Ting is a shared pool of minutes? So if you have several phones on a line, you guys all just pay for what you use. You just pay $6 for the line. So for in my case, if I have myself and my mom on a plan or myself and my wife on a plan, each of us will just end up paying for whatever we use, but we can share from a pooled set of minutes. We can also include, and all these plans include hotspot, tethering, voicemail, picture messaging, caller ID, all the stuff you'd want. And they have a, there's an, excellent Ting app and an excellent Ting dashboard on their website to let you stay on top of all of this stuff, add devices, re- rename devices, remove devices, order new devices online. It's really great. Their online control panel and their Android app together give you so much visibility on what's going on with your Ting account. And, you know, I'm, I'm a year in now, really, almost. Um, 11 months, I think, into my yeah, about uh, Ting 11 months, I yeah. think, so, yeah. I, I, I keep coming back to one of my favorite things about Ting now that I'm a long-term customer, is that dashboard. It's just so well done. It really sets the bar. And that's what I'd say about all things Ting. They set the bar on everything. They set the bar on customer service. When you call them, a real person answers the phone. They set the bar on how they sell to you. They sell direct. They sell off contract. You own the device. They set the bar on the way they bill, and they set the bar on their transparency. People love Ting, and I love Ting. I think you guys will love it too. So go over to linux.ting.com. That's going to take $25 off your first device. If you've got a device that's compatible with the Sprint Network, go check out the list of Ting's compatible devices because they're going to give you $25 on your first month of service. And if you're like most Ting switchers, that means your first month's going to be absolutely free. It's going to blow your mind once you discover what a cell service should really actually be like. You'll never go back. Even though there's right. no contracts and no early termination, you're not going to switch because then you are going to be in the position of power. And as, as a pro user, I think all of you guys know, that's something – it's like getting a Linux box without root access. It's just it's ridiculous. It's like root access to your carrier. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's really what it is. It feels like you have root access to your carrier. I call these folks. I have a question or a problem. They are not going to put me on hold and get someone else or deal with whatever. Right. They're going to solve my issue because they're empowered to do so. You're the boss. You're the yep. boss. Uh, so a uh, big thank you to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. And thanks to you guys for supporting our sponsors, letting them know that you appreciate them keeping the, t- uh, the Ting show, the Unplugged show on the air. And go get started by going to Linux.ting. Dot com. Oh yeah. Okay, so I, I you know, I, I bring this open to the to the mumble room. Anybody can chime in any time, but I honestly I I probably have never struggled like this like I had a few months ago. And I tried to do it kind of because I felt like it was a business thing. I didn't need to make a big deal about it on air. I didn't need to say much about it. I just felt mm-hmm. like I think I, I bitched to Matt like before we went live, like, oh man, I've been in a bad mood for about two days. Oh, I feel um, you. And I and I totally I totally understand. I really do. Yeah, it's just like it's a lot of money. It, mm-hmm. it it goes against my ideals. And that was really part of it. It was like I don't I don't like vote I, I'm a big I'm a big proponent of voting with your wallet. Like I right. really think in out of all of the out of all the things that go on in this world, one of the few things we have control over is how we spend our money. That's that's you know one of the reasons I recommend Ting. That's why I recommend System76 because we can vote with our wallets and we can actually make a difference by how we spend our money. And I believe that by me spending five thousand dollars or whatever it was on a Mac Pro was not me voting appropriately. That was a bad vote in my opinion. 
not going with an open source system was a bad vote. And in this case, if if Wirecast had been open source, I could have looked at that and could have determined, holy shit, this is not a 64-bit application. I'm not going to spend $400 on this. Oh, no kidding. Mind you, I still would have bought it. Even though it was, you know, $400, by the way, was the discount because it was an upgrade. I originally spent $1,000 on it multiple times over. So I've probably spent $2,000 on this wire, $3,000 on this Wirecast. Well, and not even, yeah, I was going to say, not even counting all the support hardware and other support factors that go tie into I it. I still would have paid for it if it was open, mm-hmm. but I at least could have gone and figured out on my own if it was if it was 64-bit. And it was a total black box until I bought it and I took it home and I unwrapped it. Boom, there's a 32-bit stinker in the box for me. Here's what <laughs> and I it was like, yeah. is with Apple having this push towards everything 64-bit, why did Wirecast stick with 32-bit? I think that's just legacy, man. I think it's because yeah. it it's so much of what it would it would be such a fundamental amount of effort to rewrite it to 64-bit. I'm they're probably they said they're working on it, but it's probably a multi-year process for them or something. Well, and I think you part of the two is they get something that works and then of course they have to uh they have to slowly migrate that out. So 64-bit could be and have been in the works for a long time now and it's still just not ready. So Cuz you have to go through the trouble of updating all the libraries and everything that goes mm-hmm. with it. Yeah. I- I yep. feel like if you pay $1,000 for an application, that you need to step up and do that. It is 2014. <laughs> yeah. Well, and to their credit, you know, like uh, one of their develop, I've, I've actually now been connected to a developer, I believe, based because I submitted some bug reports. And, um, you know, so it's kind of funny. Like in some sense, it was a little bit like an open source relationship where I found a bug. I submitted the bug. The guy who's now taking ownership of the bug is now contacting me directly and I'm giving him details. But mm-hmm. that's only because I, I gave him a good bug and, and because I'm, I'm technically literate, I can troubleshoot with him. It, it's because of their convenience they're doing it. I've sure. also had experiences where I've been completely left out unanswered, right? right. So uh, I, I guess I feel like there's more control taken away and when it's a core business function that's where it needs to be under your control in the absolute every sense of the word right Right. you really need to be able to guarantee it and if it was open source i feel like that is much easier for myself to guarantee well i think so because if it's not being done you have the freedom to go and find a shop or a person or a developer that will get it done for you you can say look they're not you know the, the, this person's not developing it with can what can we do to basically work around it or to come up with an offshoot or you know you have some you have some tools to work with you're not in some weird vendor lock-in situation all right mumble room so what do you think should i have maybe tried going audio only for a little while stuck to my ideal guns and say, no, as far as farther. No, no, absolutely no. No, no, no. I don't think the fans of the pro show would have forgiven you. That's true. Yes, yes, you say? No, I'm just kidding. We're not biased in any way, shape, or form. Okay, no, let's put it, let's look at this like a logical sort of way. Okay, you are a YouTube sponsor, so you put your videos out and you put them out onto YouTube. People, yes, you could put the audio out on YouTube, but the thing is, people probably wouldn't watch them to be honest oh this show's yeah. mostly audio only yeah well, but, like, but, but how there's, popular but is there's this visual show compared to, to yeah, the latest show yeah how, how i mean if you look at views on youtube compared to this to this show the latest action show is much more popular right well, for yeah, me exactly. personally yeah, yeah. i i started watching on youtube and then i found the website and watched all the back episodes but if i hadn't saw it on youtube i wouldn't have known about it that's really the big Same. thing about youtube yep. youtube yeah, that's discovery. discovery youtube is big about the discovery and so youtube we find brings people find us on youtube they watch there for a little while and then they transition to the site usually because they want it on demand they want it in their rss feed or they just want to watch the html5 version on the website 
Right. For an, for a nice callback, I actually found last because of the webcam studio review. Uh-huh. Oh, did you really? Oh my gosh! Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That was, that was nice. I personally um, found uh, about less on YouTube, but if it would if it was not a video, I I wouldn't um, watch it. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a there's a and anything I've noticed over the years too, which this is a little bit of a pro tip for anybody who wants to start a podcast, I suppose, is <laughs> nobody shares links to audio shows. Nobody does. But if you say something in a YouTube video, people will share a link to that, right? And the other thing is you can like even yeah. link to the time code, which is really nice. And so like just for people or or like when, uh, for example, when we did a uh, review of Cinnamon 2, right? Clem did a post on the on the Cinnamon blog about it and he doesn't embed the MP3 file. No, he embeds the YouTube video. Right, exactly. So I'd it, say unless you're doing something like a distribution review, the only show I'm really engaged in visually watching would probably be the faux show. Are you talking about my wife's boobs? Hey, Chris, I got a quick question for you. Uh-huh. If you had gone audio only, how, would that have affected the sponsorship at all? Maybe, yeah. That was oh, yeah. that was a part of the consideration because there'd be less numbers, right? Uh, yeah. YouTube isn't so important. I mean, we love you guys on YouTube. Don't give me the wrong impression. But I mean, like, if you came to me and said, sorry, you can no longer publish to YouTube, I'd be, like, upset about it, but it would not affect the business. But, you know, if you cut off all videos, like all the downloads, all the embeds on our website views, that would impact the numbers. And so, you know, at least it would affect the rate we probably charge, but it would, I think, you know, part of it is, is there's just an extra level of cachet to being in video, I suppose. Yeah, I think with the uh, sponsorships, you know, you display the product of yeah, like System yeah. 76, you display the beautiful machines, or you show the phones off for Ting or their website or how you exactly. set up a plan. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What about doing um, audio for some parts, like during the uh, interviews and stuff, and then just do editing the rest and later? Well, so we kind of, if you're going to do video, you might as well do video. There's no point doing right. part of it audio and part of it video. Yeah. So go, is it, so go big or go home. I guess it's funny because <laughs> here we are, a bunch of Linux users, obviously very passionate about Linux, but there's, there is a practical element to it, right? We, I guess our, RMS, our inner RMS only goes so far. That's true. I, I think it's the I think it's the side of us that see, uh, you know, the whole open source versus uh, fr- you know free software uh, argument. It's kind of that point to where the open source folks are a little more in tune with just wanting to use, use it because it works or it's providing uh, no vendor lock and it's providing various benefits. Where the other crowd might be more about you know to hell with convenience. It's all about ideals. I guess you know? so. Yeah, that's well, just my view. Uh, freedom is negative in the practical dimension. Wow, oh, that's that's pretty good, actually. I like that. <laughs> Negative in the freedom dimension. <laughs> All right, okay. So I continue to. It, it's it was it was an interesting technical battle because um, it also involves every show has a profile, like yeah. you know which which camera shots, which lower thirds. This show has a profile for the chat room shot or my screen or or whatever. Right? There's a few other in there, um, pre recorded or or reruns. And every show has to have a new profile built for it for Wirecast 5. And that is a ton of work. So this week has been marred in, like, the technical problems, you know, hitting just bugs. And it's funny because there's still bugs that were there from 4, and they're in 5 now, too. You know, so it's like some of the same bugs that used to cause it to crash, and now new bugs, too. Uh, but on top of that, then it's creating a new profile for every single show before it airs. Like, there was wow. nothing for Unplugged until about an hour before the show went on the air where I recreated everything from scratch. Yeah, so and those it, are serious bugs, right? I mean... It's wild. I mean, it has been a process, Matt. It has been a process. And so, 
you know, I go back to I've been a big advocate of rolling software. Mm-hmm. There's obviously when you come into production, there's there's something to be said about stuff working. Yeah. My wife, <laughs> you know, my, you know what, when I told my wife, when I told her, I was like, well, I considered deploying with Wirecast 4. Uh-huh. But then I'd probably would have had to an upgrade. I probably would have had to upgrade like a month or two down the road, or even a few weeks. She just looks at right. me and goes, "You could have gone with Wirecast 4? Oh, noob. <laughs> yeah, I right? call the noob by the way. <laughs> well, yeah, because oh, she's looking nice. at it through practical eyes, being like, "Why did you make this more complicated than yeah. it needed to be?" Yeah, I think you know. I think that's yeah. probably how she's. I it. was like, "Well, if I gotta go, I might as well yeah. go to to the latest right. version. It's been out for weeks." You know, oh, and we trusted that you know you had a recommendation that it was going to work, and the fact that you know yeah. it had been out for a few weeks, yeah. we would assume based yeah. on its price tag that it would yeah. function. But yeah. alas, you know, surprise! I, I mean, I don't want to. <laughs> so it's funny because even in its um sort of current state, it is still more functional than pretty much anything else. And it's it is to the it's interesting because I've been using Wirecast really since we went video. Right back when I was recording the Linux Action Show here in this office with webcams and weird <laughs> angles and stuff, and you know it, it very it got very little recognition by the pro industry. Oh, it's a toy. Now a lot of stuff that is going on live is using Wirecast. It's totally worked its way into pro level production. So I think that's good for hopefully the quality of it, uh, but it doesn't seem to have directly impacted the quality just yet. So is Wirecast a um Subscription service, or does it pay you once? No, they're pretty the good. They're pretty good. You buy you buy the major version, and then like you know, four. I had a couple of year run at least, and so I got every. So you, you drop you drop cash once, and then yeah. you own it. You don't have to pay a monthly thing. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Exactly, and it, so like, and then I also got I got I got grandfathered it on the price. Instead of having to pay a thousand dollars, I paid like three ninety or something like that to get the upgrade. Wow, uh, you know, and that includes everything: the virtual sets, the green screen capability, all of it. So it's it's pretty functional. There's a, an anecdote I just found. Somebody was asking uh, if there's ever going to be a Linux version, and the reply from the for, from the the one of the uh, community managers or moderators said, "You could use a Mac." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's their response. And, you know, and ironically, if they came out with the Linux version, even if I even if I would prefer just to, even if I even if it was still closed source, I'd still prefer to have it on Linux. Obviously. Well, and they would probably, especially as temperamental as it is, they'd have to bake it in to one release, and then every time it's updated, it would have to be baked in to that you know the, uh, release that is then cooperative with it. It could not work in like a, you know the fact that they still have to work on a 64-bit Mac version. At that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we're so far off; it doesn't matter, right? I mean, yeah, totally. Yeah, yep. you know. So there you yeah. go. There you have it. And I also thought about you know going audio only would mean. Uh, like it'd be way easier to do shows on location. Doing audio on location is is diametrically simpler than doing like it's just unbelievably simpler than doing video. Oh on yeah, location. I mean I wouldn't have to. For, I wouldn't have to drive. I do what I do now. You know, mm-hmm. uh, pants would be optional. Right. Um, right. You know. <laughs> well, and like if we wanted, well, if you we could want... get away with that anyway. Your legs are underneath the table. You could be just in your boxes with like a nice shirt yeah. on. That's true. That's true. Well, you know, I mean, you know, Chris has always uh, been great about wearing pants. You know, so most that, of the time, you know, most, most of the time, time, you know, it's you know, unless it's like no pants Friday. Now, I don't think something. I've ever done a show with shoes on, but at least I'm wearing <laughs> <No>. pants. Oh <laughs> uh, well, you got your comfy slippers. Yeah, sometimes mm-hmm. slippers. Yeah, it just depends on how cold it gets out there. That's right. Chris, I might, I, I might have missed for, this. But uh, is, is anybody ever have y'all t- uh, uh, ever t- looked at? Uh, open broadcaster software yeah oh yeah yeah have you ever considered like for doing remote stuff like tricaster yeah tricaster is another way to go where it's sort of like a dedicated piece of hardware but uh you know to get into a tricaster to do what we need it's 
starting at $10,000. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah. yeah. And then it's a Windows 7 box that I have to have in my house. Which and to, and to build onto that, when last time we went to the uh, what was it the uh, that convention that Prillo was putting yeah, on, we yeah. actually found I think a TriCaster alternative we were looking well, at that product. And was again, on, it was like a Windows Seven type box. That or product was built on Wirecast, um, oh, so Wirecast oh, okay. works on Windows or the Mac. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the reasons why it's gotten uh, shittier on the Mac is because they've been working on their Windows version. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And but that is sort of like a combination of things. Like here's a hardware appliance. We've we've streamlined it, streamlined it down. Here's a switcher for it. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of a little more pro level solutions being built up around it. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. We just need like an Indiegogo or something for uh, Jupiter Broadcasting to get one. I'm surprised. I'm, I'm surprised I'm asking this, but uh, would Wirecast work on Wine by any chance? Mm, I don't. You know, I, wow. c- I couldn't imagine with all the video piping it has hooks to QuickTime and whatnot. I would imagine that'd be a pretty... That would be probably harder than bringing Netflix to wine. I mean, which was oh, yeah. doable and did, but even then yeah. it was the breakage was Hey, constant. hey, pipe light, we have actually got Netflix oh, I know. working oh, yeah, yeah. in the Firefox yeah. browser. Just took them so, it took so long, they almost have HTML5 now, but yes. Yeah, I think it, yeah, it was <laughs> pipeline. I also think in some instances, at least some people in Firefox actually had to use a user agent, a user agent switcher just because of the yeah, old... Yeah, you do, yeah, you do have to yeah. switch. But it, was, but it works, yeah. Oh, and it works. I, I just use a Roku. That runs Linux. I don't know. I mean, so the video production <laughs> stuff is about as complicated as it gets because it's constantly yeah. pushing the GPU. It's taking in multiple right. video signals from different sources. It's writing to disk. Mm-hmm. It's encoding video and streaming it over the network. I mean, True. it is. There's basically there's no de- more demanding, you know, uh, software out there. Like I, right now, I've got a I've got a uh, you know a pretty high end Mac Pro out there that's running at almost max capacity. Because uh, it's all just pushes it, and of course, we, it, it all it all got it all got crappy when it went to HD. That's where things really got difficult. Oh, definitely. Well, and and going back to the whole uh, you know crowdsourcing campaign, a good example of what that would actually look like is let's roll back to the open shot uh, campaign and look at where they're at currently. Yeah, it was successful, but they're still trying to right. build this out right. in this in the way it's going to be practical. And, so even if we you know that's how big and of like a I said earlier, I think you know yeah. there's, that's only that's only a very small part of the overall. Problem. Yeah, exactly. But. Yeah. Uh, Listen, I think we should probably wrap it up because who knows yep. how much longer this thing's going to run. But I did have an email I want. I know. No, seriously. We go We go too long. This thing might just run out of memory. Uh, see, what, what I say earlier was at 95%, and right now it is at uh, – no, it's still sitting at 95%. Good. Oh, it was at 93 earlier. Now it's at 95. All right. Well, we do have a final email I wanted to touch on before we run. Oh. Uh, so this one came in from Jonathan. He says, uh, thanks for the great show and all the work. I was hoping you could announce the release of Sonar GNU slash Linux 13.10. Thanks to the Sonar campaign, we were able to get better sounding voices for the Orca screen reader. We're oh, working wow. On, yeah, this is, a, this is a distro that um, is, a, is targeted to folks with disabilities. Says, mm-hmm. We're working on some LibreOffice buffs, but not sure when Sonar will release those. Sonar has a, an assistive technology for blind users like the Orca screen reader, screen magnification for low vision users, a font included for people with dyslexia, an on-screen keyboard with customizing the mouse for people with low motor skills. Uh, he says there's also software included for uh, paraplegics to move the cursor of the mouse just by moving their heads or eyes. And you can find it at sonargnulinux.com. Sonargnulinux.com. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Um, how awesome is that? And he wanted to help that us spread so the word because cool. they just shipped version 13.10. That is awesome. I mean, you know, because I've looked at other projects. Uh, I think it was uh, a- the Adrian uh, setup in the Canopics and things like that. You know, oh, I've yeah. looked at, you know, other stuff like this. But I love the fact that they have better voices in Orchid because that's a big one. And the fact that they're addressing dyslexia is mind-boggling. I mean, you're, I don't have dyslexia, but I have a laundry list of learning disabilities. And so for someone like me, that would be awesome, you know. Um, yeah. That'd be great. Yeah, you know? that is really cool. cool. And uh, so he sent. So Jonathan sent that in, and he want. I, I might try to remember to give it a mention on last too, just to help yeah. uh, extra spread the word. Because I 
feel like uh, I feel like there's so much opportunity there, and we need to start working on it now because um, the the Microsoft gravy train is is drying up, and people aren't going to be yes. sure to Microsoft, and we need to have. People don't want to, or people are not going to want to use a tablet interface on their desktops, and the desktops aren't going away. And so people start switching to Linux. We need to have solutions available for people that have these disabilities. So Sonar GNU slash Linux at sonargnulinux.com. And we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And, you know, congratulations to them for, for working on something that really, you know, probably doesn't get enough acknowledgement, probably doesn't get enough attention. Well, I love the fact that rather than doing what a lot of other similar projects have done to where basically they just keep redoing what's already out there, these guys are not only trying to make it better, but they're actually addressing specific needs such as better voices and other factors that weren't being addressed previously. So I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Good stuff. All right, Matt. Well, uh, that brings us towards the end of this week's Unplug. Now, uh, don't forget uh, on Sunday we're doing our OpenSUSE 13.1 review. I think that's going to be good. Looking forward to that. And uh, that'll be two weeks of OpenSUSE love on the big show. And you guys can join us for that on a Sunday morning. Don't forget, you can join us live for this show, too, for Linux Unplugged. On Tuesday afternoons, we start at 2 p.m. Pacific over at jblive.tv. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar has it in your local neck of the woods time zone. Don't know what that is. That's time math. We have computers that do that for you. We have time. (laughs) Yeah. Even with time zone changes, we have time. Oh, we can also get a hold of us. Go to JupiterBroadcasting.com and pop that contact link and send us an email or visit LinuxActionShow.reddit.com. Matt, I'll talk to you on Sunday, all right? Sounds good. See you then. All right, everyone. See you right back here next Tuesday. Tuesday.